Tony, move away. Good to see Dorothy with us again. Hi, Dorothy. And who's that young lady next to her? Oh, good to see you too, Jen. Uh, we've had the reading from John's Gospel today, but I'm just going to major on the first verse. And as many of you know, uh, our favourite or my favourite devotional book is the Book of Mysteries by Jonathan Kahn. So I'm going to draw heavily from him today and let him speak in a, in a way that uh, I can't speak. So, John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I was thinking... Uh, was it yesterday, day before, of uh, Saul, as he was on his way to Damascus with hatred in his heart, murder in his heart. And we know how Jesus appeared to him uh, with a bright light. And so bright was the light that he became blind, and he was blind for three days until Ananias came and laid hands upon him, and he received his sight, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I know I've mentioned this before, but as a very young Christian, I was attending the a meeting in the Baptist Church where we had a visiting preacher from overseas. His name was called Campbell McAlpine. And he was a wonderful Bible teacher from England, visiting New Zealand. And uh, you know how it is when often a preacher's preaching, he's speaking to me. And uh, I felt that's what was happening in that particular meeting. And it was like he locked his eyes under my eyes, so it seemed. And out of his eyes came two rays of light. I've never had this experience before. The light was so bright, I just instinctively ducked behind the people that were in front of me. Uh, he would never have known that, although I was asked by his daughter to send greetings uh, at his 90th birthday. And so I told that little story of um, my first encounter with that man, and he would never have known about the rays of light coming out of his eyes. But um, it was so bright. I couldn't stand it. I instinctively just ducked. Well, Paul did more than duck. He fell to the ground and he was blind. And even though his eyes were open, the Bible says, uh, he could not see and had to be led around by the hand. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So I, I looked up just a secular dictionary uh, regarding the definitions of light and darkness. And light is the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible, whereas darkness is the partial or total absence of light. But another meaning of darkness is simply wickedness or evil. Wickedness or evil. Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12. Psalm 139 is a wonderful psalm, but it says in those verses, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. What an amazing God we serve. Now, quoting from Jonathan Kahn, this happens to be day 15. This is a devotional 
the book of mysteries by Jonathan Kahn that Shirley and I are nearly halfway through our second reading together but I'm on uh, my 12th reading of this book I find it so fascinating so wonderful such so Christ-centered uh, so cross-exalting um, I, I read it again I read a number of pages every day day so here is from this devotional day 15 the night and day paradigm uh, the, the setting is this uh, tourist is wandering through the land of Israel, meets this teacher from a Bible school, and uh, the Bible school teacher invites him back to this Bible school and uh, for one-year course. And many of the lessons were just by different teachers, just one-to-one. There was no lesson that day, but then in the middle of the night he came to my room and woke me. Come, said the teacher, it's time for the lesson. We're going outside. I was half asleep and not thrilled at the idea, but of course I complied. He led me to a hill where we sat down in the darkness of the night. Which comes first, he asked, the day or the night? The day, I answered, night comes when the day is over. That's what most people would say, and that's how most people in the world see it. Day leads into night, but it's not how God sees it. What do you mean? If the day leads to night, then everything goes from light to darkness. Everything gets darker. Everything is in the process of darkening. And it would appear to be the way of the world. We go from day to night, from youth to aging, from strength to weakness, and ultimately from life to death. Day to night. It's the way of the world, but it's not the way of God. When God created the universe, it was not day and night. It is written, there was evening and then there was morning the day begins with the night there was night and then there was day it is the night that comes first oh so that's why jewish holidays always begin at sunset yes and not only jewish holidays but every biblical day each day begins at sunset there is evening and then morning the world moves from day to night but in god it's the opposite it goes from night to day from darkness to light The children of this world live from day to night, but the children of God live from night to day. They are born again in the darkness and move to the day. And if you belong to God, then that is the order of your life. You are to go from darkness to light, from weakness to strength, from despair to hope, from guilt to innocence, from tears to joy, from death to life. And every night in your life will lead to the dawn. So live according to God's sacred order of time, that your entire life will always be moving away from the darkness into the light. And he said those words, as he said those words, the first light of daybreak appeared and the night began yielding to the day. And the mission, what darkness is in your life, the darkness of fear, of sin, of problems, of gloom, today turn away from it and turn to the light of day. Interesting thoughts, aren't they? Um, Jesus said, I am the light of of the world. In Exodus chapter 3, we read of Moses being attracted to a bush that was burning but was not being consumed. I'm sure he saw many bushes burning in the desert over the years, but they were always consumed. But this book, bush was burning but not being consumed. So he drew near to the bush and God spoke to him out of the bush and um, commissioned him to... Um, be a deliverer to his people who were captive in Egypt. But then Moses said, but if you send me, what am I going to say? 
who sent me? And in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Let me just read uh, from the book of uh, Foundations for Christian Living or from the foundational series by Derek Prince. And he's talking about the end of time and he refers to eternity being the realm of God's being. Eternity is not merely the endless extension of time. Eternity differs in its nature from time. Eternity is an altogether different realm, a different mode of being. Eternity is God's own mode of being, the realm in which God himself dwells. And Genesis 21, Isaiah 40, God is called the everlasting God. Psalm 90 verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Isaiah 57:15, for thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And then as we refer again to Exodus chapter 3, he says this. We read that Moses asked God by what name he wished to make himself known to the children of Israel and God gave Moses the following reply. I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now for us that's kind of a strange name, isn't it? I am. Here God gives Moses two forms of his name. I am and I am who I am. This reveals the eternal and unchangeable nature of God. God is always I am. He is not in any way changed or affected by the course of time, but which is but a part of his own creation. For God, past, present and future are ever united in an eternal present and eternal I am. Out of this revelation granted to Moses there came the sacred form of God's name consisting of four Hebrew consonants represented in English as YHWH. Traditionally this has been rendered as Jehovah. Modern scholars suggest that it could be more accurately represented in the form Yahweh, meaning he is, or alternatively, he will be. In the New Testament the same truths concerning the eternal unchanging nature of God are brought out in the revelation granted to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, recorded in Revelation 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and Omega the last. Thus the whole alphabet of time from its beginning to its ending is contained within the nature of God himself, the phrase who is and who was and who is to come sums up present, past and future, thus exactly corresponds to the revelation of God's nature given to Moses, I am who I am. I find that interesting as well. Um, when we think of eternity, we tend to think of just life as we know it going on and on and on and on forever. And we say, you know, 10,000 years and so on and so on. Um, but... Eternity is a different realm. It's God's realm of, or mode of being. It's the mode in which he exists. Book of Mysteries. This is day two. 
It was by the second day that I realised that there would be no set time for the teacher's coming. He came in the afternoon. Do you know the name of God? asked the teacher. I don't know that I do. It's made up of four Hebrew letters, the Yad, the He, the Vav and the He. Y-H-V-H. It's the most sacred of names, so sacred that some refuse to say it, and yet you say it all the time. The sacred name of God, I replied. How could I when I never knew it? When you speak of yourself, you say the name. I don't understand. When you feel happy, you say, I am happy. And when you're not, you say, I am sad. And when you tell others who you are, you say, I am, followed by your name. Uh, Y-H-V-H, Yahweh, Jehovah. I am means the, it's the name of the eternal, the name of God. His name is I am. Then we all say his name. Yes, as you have always said it, it's woven into the fabric of existence that when you speak of yourself, you must say his name. Why is that? It's because your existence comes from his existence. He is the I am of all existence, the I am of all I ams. Your I am only exists because of his I am. As you exist from him, so it is only from him that you can find the reason and purpose of your existence. Therefore, when you say your name, you must always speak his name and you must always speak his name first because, because his existence is first and your existence flows forth from his. That's the flow ex of existence. Therefore, you must put him first and let everything flow from that. Let everything begin with him and flow forth from him. That's the secret of life. To not only live for him, but to live your life from him. To live from his living, to move from his moving, to act from his actions, to feel from his heart, to be from his being, and to become who you are from who he is. I am. And the mission? Today, learn the secret of living each moment from his life, doing from his doing, loving from his love, and being from his being. I am. Well... What are the I am's of Christ? And there are seven mentioned in the book of John. John, <clears throat> I'll read them in the order they come. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and who believes in me will never thirst. I am the light of the world. John 12, 8, 12. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me um, will live even if he dies. And then John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then finally, John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. There's two more that we could add, perhaps. Revelation 1, verse 8, uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. And again, Revelation 1.17, Do not be afraid, uh, he spoke, I am the first 
and the last. The I am's of Jesus. This is his personal name. God is a title. Lord is a title. But I am is his personal name. Well, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 speaks of the works of darkness. or Speaks of the light and the day, the dark. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you as a thief, speaking of the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night, of darkness. And then Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the year, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And we some, see some of these works of the flesh, or works of darkness, uh, mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. And we are exhorted to walk by the Spirit, and we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. This is just a partial list. Things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's one thing to fall into a sin, to slip into a sin, and to say, Lord, please forgive me, and we repent and we receive cleansing through the blood of Jesus. But it's another thing to practice, 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 practice uh, areas of, of darkness, sin. Day 91, the shadow. It was a dark night. There was no moon, and only a few stars could be seen in the desert sky. Just darkness and the howling of the cold night winds. Are you afraid of the dark? asked the teacher. Sometimes, I replied. In the scriptures, darkness is a symbol of evil. Darkness is an absence, the absence of light. So too is evil. Evil is an absence. Evil is not so much a reality as the absence of a reality. It is not of the uh, creation, but a denial of creation a negation of what God is, the negation of God. And so it can't exist on its own, but only in opposition to existence. And what does that mean? Truth exists on its own. It just is. But a lie cannot exist without truth. A lie is a twisting of the truth, and so it can only exist by the truth and in denial of it. So too life exists without death, but death cannot exist without life. Death only exists as the negation of life. And good can exist without evil, but evil cannot exist without good. Evil is the denial of the good. It's the force of opposition, I said. 
Yes, he replied, and in Hebrew, that which opposes, that which goes against, is called Satan. Satan, I repeated, and paused until it hit me. Satan. You can have God without Satan, but you can't have Satan without God. Yes, he said. So we can only discern darkness because light exists. And what is false because of the true exists, that the true exists. And what is wrong because the right exists. So then, so then evil is actually a witness, I said, a hostile witness that despite itself testifies of the truth. Yes, the witness of a shadow. The darkness of falsehood bears witness that the truth exists. The darkness of hatred bears witness that love exists. And the darkness of evil bears witness that God exists. So never let your heart lose its focus by dwelling on evil, but seek always to see the good, which is always there, beyond it and above it, on the throne to which even evil must bear witness and bow its knee. The mission. Today, practice seeing through the darkness of every problem or evil that confronts you to the good that lies beyond it. Interesting stuff. Huh? Well, we've talked about the works of darkness just so briefly. The works of light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you formerly were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's keep in mind that fruit takes time to form. We have some fruit trees at home and I'm just in the process of just snipping off some of the apples on our apple trees because there have been so many blossoms, so many little apples clustering together and if you don't, at least this is what I do, if they don't, uh, and get pruned out a wee bit you'll have lots of apples but they'll be small cut some of the small ones out and you'll get a few apples but they'll be bigger so we would rather have the bigger apples than have lots of little small ones we have to cut up and so on uh, but fruit takes time to develop doesn't it and I've just been watching the flowers of the bees pollinating this year and yes they were and uh, then you see that little fruit begin to form and then it grows and grows and grows and then August, September, it's time for harvest. So fruit takes time to develop. The fruit of the Holy Spirit takes time to develop in our lives. Whereas when God gives a gift, it's at a moment of time. It's just like uh, a Christmas tree with the gifts around it. There are gifts. Uh, but fruit takes time to develop. Well, back to Book of Mysteries, day 144. Where am I here? One four four. I had them in their order, but they've got out of order, disorder. We've looked at the sunshine commandment. Now we have here it is here. The sun, sunrise commandment. 
Look all around you, said the teacher. What do you see? Mountains, plains, buildings, rocks, plants, gardens. Why? Why do you see them? Because I'm looking. But if you were looking at night, you wouldn't see anything. You only see them by the light of the sun. Everything is illuminated by the sun, the beautiful and the ugly, the good and the bad, the holy and the unholy. All across the world, everything is illuminated by the sun, lands, oceans, cities, deserts, cathedrals, prisons, hills of grass and mounds of garbage, saints and criminals, the good and the evil. All of it is lit up by the same sun. How could it be otherwise, I said? That's the question. Messiah told his disciples, Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. What would happen if it was otherwise? If the Son only shone on the beautiful of this world and not on the ugly? And what would happen if the sun only gave its light to the good and the righteous, but not to the sinners and evildoers? What if the sun only gave its light to those who deserved its light? And what if the sun only gave its light to those who blessed the sun and withheld its light to those who cursed it? I guess it would alter the world. It would do more than alter the world. It would mean it would alter the sun. If the sun shone only on the good, the beautiful and the worthy, then it would to that degree, cease to be a light. In the same way, if you love only those who love you, then it alters you. Then you cease to be a light. The sun must shine regardless of the world, and a child of God must love regardless of circumstances and bless regardless of the world. You must never let your circumstances define who you are or the darkness around you determine your shining. Love the good, the bad, and the unworthy, Love those who hate you, not because of who they are, but because of who you are. I like that sentence, don't you? Love the good, the bad, the unworthy. Love those who hate you, not because of who they are, but because of who you are. Shine regardless and shine no matter what. For you are the light of the world and the necessity of the light is to shine. Mission. Live like the sun today as, a, as the light. Shine God's love on all, regardless of people and circumstances. Shine rather because you're the light. Interesting stuff. Wow. Just imagine if the sun only shone on the, on the righteous and on the good. Huh? It'd still be a pretty dark world, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, you are the light of the world, Jesus said to us. Matthew 5, 14-16. You are the light of the world. Well, we've been reading, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. No, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, got a couple more of these to go, or one? Yes, two more. The matrix. We were outside at night, as we often enjoyed doing, looking up at the stars. Your life began in darkness, he said, in the darkness of the womb. It was once all you knew, your entire life, your entire world. 
If you had been asked then to describe life, you would describe it as being dark, warm and wet. And if someone tried to tell you that there was more to life, another life, another world outside the womb, a world of stars and grass, of flowers and faces, of sandcastles and setting suns, what would you have thought? I guess I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have been able to fathom it. But there would be a way that you could have known that this other life, this world beyond the womb, actually existed. What evidence would you have had within the womb of that which was beyond the womb? I don't know. You, said the teacher, you would be the evidence. You, dwelling in darkness, yet with eyes made to see colour and light, with no ground to walk on and yet with feet made to run, with no air to breathe and yet with lungs made to breathe air and a voice box with which to speak into the air, with no one's hand to hold yet with two hands made to hold and be held by the hand of another, you yourself would be the evidence of the life beyond your life in the womb and the world beyond your world. Your very being was the evidence of a world yet to come and yet you were surrounded by a much smaller world that was unable to answer what was within you. And this reveals, when you hear of a world beyond this world and a life beyond this life, when you hear of heaven, you're hearing of it as a child in the womb. You have never seen it or touched it, and yet everything within you is made to know this world and to live within it. A heart made for a love that is perfect and without condition, a soul yearning for that which is eternal, a spirit longing to dwell in the place of no death, no fear, no tears, no darkness and no evil. And yet you live in a world of imperfection, of corruption, of pain and evil, of darkness and the absence of love. And as it was in the womb, so too this world can never answer the longings of your heart or the purpose of which you came into existence. And every tear, every sorrow, every disappointment, every unfulfilled longing is just a reminder that you are not home and that you were made for something more to be a child of heaven and that this life is only the beginning of real life and the matrix of the world to come. The mission? Take all the unfulfilled longings, needs and desires of your life and turn them, and turn them away from the worldly to the heavenly. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12 to 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Uh, we are the light of the world as believers. So final reading from Book of Mysteries. This is day 40, the mystery of the secret angels. He led me up a high desert mountain into a cave near its summit. Inside the cave, not far from the entrance, was an engraving of a human-like figure with outstretched wings. What is it? I asked. An angel, said the teacher. And what do you know of angels? Are they heavenly creatures sent by God with wings? 
They don't all have wings, he said. There are many different kinds of angels, cherubim, seraphim, warring angels, ministering angels, and then there are the other angels. The other angels? The earth angels, he said. Those who walk the earth in flesh and blood, his earthbound division, different from the others, but angels nonetheless. I thought an angel was a being not of flesh and blood. The scriptures say differently. The word for angel in the Hebrew scriptures is malach. And in the New Testament scriptures, the word is the Greek angelos. It is written, Then spoke Haggai, the Lord's malach. And of the man known as John the baptizer, the Messiah, said, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my angelos. Haggai and John were both of flesh and blood, and yet they are both called angels, angels of God. What is an angel? It is a being sent by God, a messenger, an emissary on a divine assignment, bringing God's message especially to those who dwell on the earth. So who are the earth angels? Those who are born again, born from above, born from heaven, those who bear the message of heaven to those who dwell on earth. And the message? The good news. In Greek it's called the euangel. In English, evangel, as in evangelism. Within each of these words is another word. Do you see it? The word angel. Exactly. It's no accident. For if you will bear the message of heaven to those on earth, your life will become angelic. So take up your angelic assignment and bring good tidings, the divine message to those on earth, for you are his earth angel. Mission? Today start fulfilling your angelic mission. Bear the heavenly message to those on earth. Live this day as his earth angel. You get that? Like we're messengers. Uh, angels are messengers as well. Well, just in concluding, I just uh, asked Shirley for a, um, a copy of some words that go with the Alpha course, and she was involved in many Alpha courses over the years. She just couldn't put a finger on it, so she said, go online, and we can do that today. So I went online, put in Nikki Gumbel, Alpha course, um, the RC Priest, Auschwitz. Um, I've been to Auschwitz twice, which is one of the former Nazi concentration camps in Poland. The second time I was there was actually in August. In summer, we went over to be with some church leaders for a week or more. Shirley came with me, and we were not far from Auschwitz. And I thought, I'd like to go to Auschwitz again, not that it's a pleasant place to be, but just because of the, the reality of the Holocaust, um, and, and I thought, I wonder how Shirley's going to take it. In Auschwitz, there were actually three camps, or there were three camps. And uh, the tourists go to two of those camps. One, you've probably seen the, uh, the sign over the entrance going in, uh, work brings freedom, something like that in German. And that entire camp is holy um, as, as it was originally, with all the barracks and everything that was in the barracks, including the room we're going to talk about now. Um, let me just pick it up from here. On July 31st, 1941, a prisoner escaped from Auschwitz. As a reprisal, the Gestapo selected 10 men arbitrarily to die of starvation in an underground bunker. One of the men who was elected or selected to die was a man 
called Francis. I don't speak Polish, but Jainskadek. Uh, when Francis Jainskadek was selected, he cried out and said, Ah, oh, my poor wife and my children, they'll never see me again. At that moment, a Polish man, very unimpressive looking in many ways, with round glasses and wire frames, stepped out and said, Look, I'm a Catholic priest. I don't have a wife and children. He said, I want to die instead of that man. And to everyone's amazement, his offer was accepted. Maximilian Colby was the name of the Catholic priest. He was 47 years old at the time and he went with the others to the starvation bunker. He was a remarkable man. He got them all praying and singing hymns. It transformed the atmosphere apparently in that bunker and he was the last to die. Actually, he was given a lethal injection of carbolic acid acid on August 14, 1941. In Francis Jasinski's obituary, it was said that he spent the rest of his life going around telling people what Maxillium Colby had done for him because he died in his place. And in even a more amazing and wonderful way, Jesus died in our place. He endured crucifixion for us. What an amazing man he must have been to give his life another so that man could eventually hopefully be restored to his wife and, and children uh, we are the light of the world and we have opportunities every day to express that light uh, remember the sun shines on the good and the bad <laughs> and we can shine our light on the good and the bad and uh, in the midst of it all God's doing a work in people wooing people drawing people to himself people can say yes people can say no but um, Jesus is the light. We are to be lights in this world as well. And that even means being willing to lay down our lives. And we've got friends in um, two very difficult countries, two of the most dangerous countries in the world to be Christians, where you can't openly witness. You're put to death if you openly witness. And though they're serving God, holding on to their lives lightly, um, knowing that at any time they could um, be captured, imprisoned and put to death. But they're shining, they're shining their light and just ones and twos are coming to the Lord. In fact, many ones and twos are coming to the Lord as they're doing their part being the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who Jesus is, who he was, who he is and who he ever will be the I am. And we thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to be the light of the world, to be the light of our lives. And Lord, we see this challenge that we too are to be lights as Jesus was light. Help us this day, help us this week to walk with you, to be in harmony with you, to be yoked to you, that you can speak through us, that your light can shine through us, that your truth can be manifested through us. Help us to be lights in this world of darkness. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.